we can do better. Um, and that's really been the mercy mantra ever since. Welcome back to another edition of the Good and Grounded podcast. I'm Jim Licko. And I'm Laura Love. Today's guest comes to us from Mercy Housing, one of the nation's largest affordable housing organizations. He grew up in the near west side of Chicago and his parents came to the U.S. from Mexico. Education was non-negotiable in this family and our guest was the first in his family to go to college. Earning an industrial engineering degree from one of the top ranked engineering programs in the U.S and an MBA from the University of Chicago. After graduating, a friend launched a faith-based organization called The Resurrection Project, where our guest helped build single-family homes in rundown and long-neglected neighborhoods in Chicago. But in the late 90s, the love of the mountains and all that the outdoors offered called to his family, and he moved here to Colorado. And for more than 12 years, our guest served as the head of Denver Housing Authority, on July 1st, after an exhaustive national search, he became the president and CEO of one of the nation's largest owners and developers of affordable housing, Mercy Housing. Welcome, Ishmael. Hi, Laura. Thank you. So from what I know about you, having served on some boards with you and just knowing of you in the community, you have never shied away from tackling big, big things. But I have to imagine that taking over as CEO of Mercy Housing in the middle of one of the most tumultuous moments in our history seems like a little bit of a bolder move than most. So what drew you to this opportunity? Oh, well, there were uh, quite a number of things. Um, I mean, in many ways, it's a great uh, capstone to date of my 25 years doing community development and affordable housing, um, as you so uh, uh, generously shared in the, uh, in the introduction. Well, we're lucky that you were able to stay here. I know our community is better because of it. So for those that don't really know about Mercy Housing, what, what is Mercy Housing at its core? Um, so we are um, unique in that we are the um, one of the country's largest uh, affordable housing owners. Um, we own, develop, own, and manage affordable housing, which is something that others do as well and, and do, do very well. Um, Mercy, however, in it, 40 years ago, was founded uh, by the Sisters of Mercy of Omaha when they saw a need um, in that city uh, to to support and help um, both renters and homeowners who were facing foreclosure, facing eviction. Um, and as uh, one of the early founders, Patricia O'Rourke said, we can do better. Um, and that's really been the mercy mantra ever since. Um, building on those relationships uh, with other women religious communities um, and the strategic healthcare partnerships that they are a part of, we have a, a national um, set of relationships and networks that has really uh, propelled Mercy uh, to, to the scale uh, that we we are currently working at. But. Just as importantly, I would say beyond uh, housing, Mercy really saw that to help families uh, and individuals um, you know, who we serve, we really have to go beyond housing. Um, and so we create a very service-rich environment in our communities, supporting families and all the needs that they have uh, beyond housing um, in education and healthcare, financial stability, um, and, and in just being uh, involved in their communities. And Ishmael, the people who, who call Mercy Housing home don't have the economic resources to afford market rate housing. Um, in fact, on average, their annual household incomes are less than, I think, $16,000 a year. 
When we talk about that housing crisis, how does Colorado compare to the rest of the country in those terms? Um, I would say that in Colorado, we have you know numbers you can imagine of high cost housing cities, from the from Denver and the surrounding you know metro area to the mountain resort communities, um, you know even as far uh, down as uh, Durango uh, in the in the Four Corners region, very high cost of housing, which means service workers, essential workers, you know the the pay just doesn't keep up. Um, and, and so we have that challenge here. At the same time, whereas we're, uh, more people are moving to Denver uh, and moving to Colorado, um, the inventory uh, and the supply of housing has just not kept pace with the growth in population as our economy has boomed. Um, and so that's put a real, uh, that's really, that combination sort of created that crisis where um, just working families um, don't can't afford the rents, can't afford the home prices uh, that we've seen uh, because of that constraint of supply with growing demand. Um, so, so Colorado, you know, is really um, we're, we're we're facing the same pressures that you see on the coasts. Yeah, and and that's super interesting because you know some of the work that we've done and some of the people that that we work with who work parallel paths to the housing crisis. You know, this is a huge issue that trickles down to things like people who are experiencing homelessness, um, people who can't afford to live in the cities where they work, or, or, or and, and then it creates transportation issues with people having to live further out and all these things, and it just trickles and trickles. I know you don't have a crystal ball, but where where is this housing crisis headed as we start to move into a recovery mode um, after COVID-19 or as we get out of COVID-19, where is all of this headed? And maybe what are your, what are your top, you know, two or three challenges tactically that you're facing and trying to tackle as it relates to the housing crisis? Um, that is a, uh, a, a big question for, <laughs> that, that many people are trying to answer for sure. Um, you know, clearly in a city like Denver, that is ex- continues to experience growth um, and, and has, you know, I mean, even despite the pandemic, you know, we know we feel strong that our economy will rebound. We need to grow in a very smart way. Um, you know, the, the cost of building affordable housing is no different than the cost of building market rate housing. Um, so the things that are impacting the cost of construction really need to be targeted, uh, you know, strategically to bring down that cost. Some of it is the hard costs of construction. Some of it are the impact fees, the entitlement fees, um, you know, that that are layered on. Um, and, and affordable housing particularly should be exempt from many of those in order to, to make it more affordable to build. Um, at the same time, we need to be um, protect our affordable neighborhoods that we have today um, and the existing affordable housing because uh, we, you know, we just can't keep up with the demand if we're building on one end but losing units on the back end um, as they're converted to market rate um, or, you know, demolished to make room for new for new uh, buildings. Um, I also think we need to grow smart, um, which means growing up, uh, and by that I mean we need higher density housing. Uh, right now, people have to drive further away in order to find affordable land, affordable housing, affordable homes. Um, and that really then adds cost to their commute, uh, to their time, uh, time they can spend with family, uh, time they can spend doing other things. And so so we need our urban cores, particularly, um, you know, around light rail stations, you know, throughout the metro area to really grow um, in a smart way with higher density, well-designed uh, multifamily um, and uh, condo uh, condominium options. 
Um, and then, you know, two things that I look at in the future that I hope we can realize, um, not just for Colorado, but for the country. Um, one is we need a real uh, commitment from our national political leaders um, and the administration to, to prioritize funding for affordable housing. Uh, we've seen a, a significant drop in funding uh, for affordable housing production, um, and, and we need to double, if not triple, uh, things like the low-income housing tax credit program. Um, and then I think, just on, on the last point, that we've seen the importance of housing stability, especially during a crisis like COVID-19, that creating stability so that families don't get displaced, don't find themselves homeless in a crisis and can weather the storm, you know, and bounce back resiliently. Um, I, I believe we need an expansion of the Housing Choice Voucher Program in this country so that people are able to afford the rent, um, even when they have a medical emergency or a temporary job loss, that they don't find themselves unable to pay the rent. Um, and then, you know, that roller coasters or spirals into, you know, many other challenges and difficulties kind of dig themselves a hole that it's hard to get out of. Such a complex and far-reaching issue for sure. There's so many things that play into this. And I hear you say often that you consider housing justice is social justice. Tell me what you mean by that. Yes, well, as we say here at Mercy, housing is just the beginning. Um, housing is really where our work starts uh, because bringing somebody into a stable, you know, affordable, safe, quality living environment, living situation is the first step. Um, and, and everything builds on that. Um, and so you can't have educational reform. Um, you can't hardly have health care uh, reform um, if you don't start with housing. Um, and, and we know that historically uh, there have been barriers placed uh, to minorities, people of color, um, lower income households uh, to not have the same opportunities for housing in the in the best neighborhoods, um, you know, with opportunities um, and amenities and services that they need. Um, so when I say housing justice is social justice, it's because so many of the things we strive for and, and we are aspirational goals for a, a just equitable society really are going to begin when people have access to, to quality, affordable housing as a first step. No, I think that's fair. And and we've talked a lot about COVID-19 and the pandemic and what that has done, right, with inequality and and the digital divide when you're seen with your with with the folks that you serve at Mercy Housing. How is how are you and your team addressing that? Among the things that the COVID-19 pandemic have really highlighted is universal affordable access to the internet really has to be a priority because it's so critical to family resiliency um, and being able to deliver and access the services that we need even you know even during uh, any kind of temporary crisis like we're experiencing now uh, telehealth uh, to you know access for seniors uh, mental health services are now being delivered electronically or remotely, vi virtually. Um, you know, that's a high need. And then obviously the most obvious is, is the kiddos, uh, you know, who are having to deal with remote learning. Um, so, so we've taken it on as a high priority at Mercy Housing uh, to help close that digital divide. Um, and right now we're sort of in an exploratory pilot mode, um, both in terms of how we best bring internet access to our properties uh, so it's it's available and affordable to the families who live there but then also partnering with with folks like um, 
uh, AARP um, that was helping us bring both um, tablets, uh, hotspots, and technical support to seniors so they could stay online and stay socially connected, but also access telehealth work. So, so right now we haven't found the silver bullet per se, but we just recognize it's such a priority um, and, and such a high need that we really need to, as a country, I think, make that universal access to affordable internet um, one of our top priorities. So I know you have two older daughters and if they were listening in on this conversation, what would they tell us are the top two to three life lessons that you've taught them? You know, I think one of the most important ones that I've, uh, I hope I've taught them and, and I know that they're pursuing is that you really have to follow your passion, um, not uh, fall into a career trap, um, you know, in, in work that you don't enjoy um, and aren't passionate about. Um, I think the other is sort of being a servant leader. Right, that we are we're here to to serve our community, uh, to be not just good citizens, but to to work toward the greater good uh, of of our communities and our neighborhoods. Um, and I'm very proud of of you know the work that they do. They really are focused on making the world a better place, uh, but being, um, as I say, part of that positive change, uh, not just wanting to watch it happen from the sidelines. Speaking of making the world a better place, we like to end our podcast by sort of a call to action for our listeners. How could they get involved? How can they help out um, either with Mercy Housing or with the with the issue of affordable housing at a larger scale? Well, I would certainly say that for Mercy Housing, if you are uh, interested in the story, you know, interested in getting more involved and, and more importantly, interesting in supporting our mission, uh, we certainly welcome uh, everybody's individual uh, financial support, um, particularly the resident services side um, doesn't uh, happen on its own. Uh, and we, we do rely on the generosity of individual donors, foundations, and corporations. And we have a website, you know, mercyhousing.org that makes it easy uh, to both read more about the stories, you know, find out about the work we're doing in different communities across the country. Um, and if it excites you that, to, you know, lend your support uh, to the work that we're doing. Um, and then I have to say, especially at this point in time, uh, you know, I think we all need to be involved in, in the public realm, uh, be civic-minded uh, from voting to turning out to neighborhood meetings, uh, to just, you know, being well-informed um, about the issues that we talked about here today. Um, you know, as I said, there's no silver bullet. It really takes all of us uh, being involved um, if we're going to make our communities great places to live for everybody. That's great. Um, we certainly appreciate your heavy involvement and leadership in this area. And we appreciate your time and coming on the the Good and Grounded podcast here to you know bring some more light to this issue because it's definitely one that I think is central to a lot of the issues we're facing here in Denver and, and Colorado as a whole. Mm, thanks for all you do. We appreciate it. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Jim. All right. In each of these podcast episodes, we talk about one good thing, one cool thing that comes out of this coronavirus pandemic and the world that we're currently living in. And I will say selfishly, one of the cool things that has come out of this is the increased popularity of telehealth visits. I will tell you that between my children's annual appointments, their check-ins, my check-ins, the amount of time and money you save driving to and from the doctor's appointments and having to sit in the waiting room 
is incredible. So I am grateful for telehealth appointments during this pandemic. It's a simple but very poignant thing to be thankful for. Um, if, if you like what you hear, uh, please subscribe to the podcast, share it with your friends. You can find us at goodandgrounded.com. You can look up uh, on your podcast app on your iPhone and Google Good and Grounded. Uh, subscribe, share, and let's do some good and keep doing some good in our Colorado communities. Mm -hmm.